Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Well, hello, Whitefields Community Church. Great to see all of you. Um, see some familiar faces out there, but so good to see what the Lord is doing here. I love your pastor, and he loves God with all of his heart, mind, and soul. He's a good man, and you're blessed to have him as your pastor, and he's just been a just a great friend. We work on this Expositors Collective together, and God is doing amazing things through that, and so thank you for letting him do that as well, and he's just a true blessing to me. Anyway, um, we're going to be in Third John, not John 3, Nicodemus and all that, but how many of you have uh, studied Third John on a Sunday morning before? See, that's what I thought. That's why, oh, what, what, yes, sir, here we go. Yeah, yeah. So very few of you. So I knew that I... I I knew that I would pick Third John, something that Nick has not preached on, but I asked him in advance. But Third John is just a great letter from the Apostle John. And, you know, John was referred to as the Apostle of Love. There's um, all kinds of historical writings, especially by Eusebius in the second century, church historian that talks about in John's elder years, because he was the only one that was not um, martyred. And so they would bring him around on a stretcher. There's stories of him being sat in the center of town, and everyone would surround him, and he would just talk about the love of God, the love of God, the love of God. And uh, so they called him the apostle of love. And in this letter, you're going to see, if you're, if you're a Bible student, you're going to see a lot of the language that is uh, privy to 1 John, which is probably his most important um, letter. So let's... Be, you're already there, I think. So let's, I'm going to read, and then uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into it, okay? The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you'll do well because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. He therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers of the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does prating against us with a malicious words and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius a good, has a good testimony 
from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's powerful. It's, re- it's relevant to our lives, even though it was written centuries ago, but Lord, the truth of Scripture is eternal. So, Lord, we invite that work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, in our hearts, that this living word would uh, speak to us, the innermost man, and transform us. And Lord, that we'd leave this place changed and Lord, wanting to serve you wholeheartedly. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. All right. Third John. So Nick does something really cool, and I'm going to, he's very imitatable, right? So he, you know, as you know, he does his outline with a sentence, right? I said, Nick, I'm going to copy you this Sunday morning. So my outline will be this sentence as we work our way through Third John. Here it is. Walking in truth is evidenced by love when we truly know Jesus. Walking in truth is evidenced by love when we truly know Jesus. That's what this letter is talking about. Now, I don't know, uh, you know, if you relate to this, but maybe you moved to a new place or... Uh, or you've lived in the same place for a number of years. And I'm sure this is true for you, that you've lived in a place for several years. And then don't you, you find like something new about your community. There's a new park, a new hiking trail, uh, something new that you never discovered before. And you go, wow, this is amazing. I did not know this was here. And so you go back. It's, it's something that changes uh, the, the quality of your life. And so you, you go back to it. You get new information, at, and it benefits your life. Or have you drove by that restaurant, and you've driven by it for years, and you, it just never took notice to you, and then someone, they, they recommend the restaurant, and so you finally, okay, I'll go and try it out. And you go, wow, this place is amazing. Like, this is my favorite restaurant now. See, you got this new information, and now it's changed your quality of life. It's, it's benefiting you. Or maybe in a relationship, right? You've known someone for years. You know a lot about their likes and their dislikes. And, and then you, you didn't actually know that they, they liked rollerblading or roller skating. You go, wow, you know, you, you roller skate, woo, you know. Um, and it's new information that you didn't know. It just that new information changes everything. And that's what kind of walking in truth is with God. We're on this journey of, uh, of learning more about God. Walking in truth is walking in the truth of who God is, the nature of God, who God is. He's the creator of all things. We learn more about who he is in his nature. This is what John is speaking about, and we learn this in his first epistle when he talks about in his introduction, he says, that which we have touched, that which we have embraced, that which we, he talks about being with Jesus, the incarnate Christ in, in a physical form. And, and he, he says, 
I write this letter from being with Jesus for three years physically. See, he got that new information, and he understood in real time who God is in Jesus Christ, his nature, how he talked with people, how he ministered to people, right? And so as the outflow of him as an apostle is coming through his, his epistles. So, and then so who God is, the truth of who God is, what God says, and then what God has done. See, this is what it means to walk in truth. And I am still growing in these things. You are still growing in these things. I'm still learning new aspects of who God is. I'm walking in the truth. I get new information every day about who God is. What God says, I'm still growing in the word of God. That's what it means to walk in the truth. What God has done, I'm still learning new depths and implications of the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done for me. All right, so how many times in this letter does he mention truth? Actually, seven times. See, this letter is about walking in truth. Now, he references two men here. He's writing this letter, as you can say, to the beloved Gaius, but then he also mentions this man, Diotrephes. Now, Gaius is commended, where Diotrephes is rebuked. Gaius is helped, is, is helping the ministry, where Diotrephes is hindering the ministry. Gaius is just a regular guy in the church. He has no title. Where Diotrephes, he is actually an elder in the church and actually the head elder in the church. Now, here's what's interesting. They're in the same church. Two different people on both sides of the spectrum under the same roof. Does that sound familiar? See, let's not romanticize the first century church that had problems just like every church has problems in this day and age. And so John, the apostle, with his apostolic authority, is speaking in to this situation. So these are two men in the same church, and there's problems. But really what this letter is about is he is endorsing the character and the actions of Gaius, and he's rebuking Diotrephes. So we look in verse 9. We know that Diotrephes is not walking in the truth because John says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among us, does not receive us. Now, isn't that interesting? I mean, how epic is 1 John? It's actually not a letter. It's like a poetic sermon, but how epic that book. And Diotrephes, the leader of the church, rejected the letter of John. What they would do in these days is that the apostles would write a letter, and then they would be passed around the churches, and they'd be read to to the congregations. Here's the leader of the church that is not receiving the message of John. And so John is calling him out. He rejects his letter. We see that Diotrephes had a position that led to a mishandling of power that ultimately led to pride. We see he loved the preeminence. He loved his position. He loved being the man. He loved calling the shots. We actually know from church history that he was the first monarchical 
bishop in Asia. Here this letter is being written to a home church in in, in Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And so what an interesting aspect that here John is trying to nip something in the bud that it makes itself in the canon of Scripture, because I think this was a really important thing going on in the church, that as the church was growing and as the church was expanding, that there was those who found themselves in the place of church leadership, that it started going to their head, and they started thinking that they were, they were the stuff. That's Diotrephes. And so he gets called out. What else do we see about Diotrephes? He's a gossip. Look at he, he has malicious words about John, and he he's, has useless words. He's talking about John, saying, what does John know? He's not here. He doesn't know this place like I know this place. And he's gossiping. Now, the one thing that is uh, similar here is that when people gossip or slander, it really means that they're just insecure in themselves. They need the preeminence. They need to feel that I know what's going on. I know how things should be done. I know, uh, you know, you know, that person's bad. So we talk about people because it makes us feel good about ourselves. And it's just rooted in insecurity. So it is with power and position. When you find your identity, you find yourself with a place or a title, and that becomes your identity, it's really... You're, you're insecure you, because you're constantly wondering what others around you think about you. And so you have to continually reestablish your authority and your position to others. It's really a, a mindset that's a blind spot that is out of um, an insecurity. We see that Gaius is secure. Well, how do we know that? He knows who he is in Christ. And because he's walking in the truth, he has the ability to serve and bless and be hospitable. Humility. Humility is so underrated. Humility is really knowing who you are in Christ. That's really the best definition. There's a false humility that's, oh, shucks. No one likes, I'm just, I'm not nothing. I'm glad that you're even talking with me. That's false humility, which is actually pride. Because it's still about you. Gaius is about others. He's walking in the truth because he's secure in his identity in Christ. C.S. Lewis says that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. That's all it is. It's not about me. It's about others. And that's the transformation that comes through the gospel. You know, I think on this topic, I think about John 13. It's the Last Supper. And Jesus is with his disciples. And they all meet in the upper room, and they're preparing for the Passover meal. And it says there in John 13, you can refer to it later, but it says there that Jesus knew where he was from, and he knew where he was going. Therefore, he took up the towel, and he girded himself, and he washed 
the feet of his disciples. Think about that sequence. He knew where he was from. He knew where he was going. And so he got on his knees and he did the lowliest job that needed to be done in that room to wash the feet. The securest securest man in that room, in the upper room, was Jesus Christ, because he knew who he was. He knew that he was sent by the Father. There was no question. He was secure. See, when we place our identity in anything else, we're still trying to find ourselves. But when we know who we are in Christ, we know where we've come from, and we know where we're going because of the gospel, that's what enables us to serve one another with a pure heart and a humble heart. Now, we don't have many. Well, we might have some dirty feet here. Let me look. No, most of you have shoes on. No, we all, have, we all wear shoes unless you live in Boulder. But... Uh, <laughs> But dirty feet was a real thing, you know? You come off the road, and you're dusty roads, and you have sandals, and the lowliest service w- servant would wash the feet. No, we don't have dirty feet, but we have residue. We have residue with friends and family, where the scum of this world messes us up. And what Gaius is doing He's this humble, secure man, and he's taken care of with hospitality, Demetrius, who we will get to in a moment. See, the church is an upside-down kingdom, you see. See, truth, walking in truth is not just truth in who God is, what God says, what God has done, but truth is also about the truth about yourself knowing the truth about yourself, having a self-awareness that I need the grace of God, that I need forgiveness, that I need God to cleanse me. Demetrius had no self-awareness. He was just into himself. And it's messing up the culture and the ethos of the church. And so John is addressing that because the church is an upside-down kingdom. Okay, let's talk about the kingdom of God just for a moment. Jesus, when he came to earth, right, and his three years of ministry, he was the kingdom of God incarnate. Didn't he preach the kingdom? The kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like that. He preached. the, And so Jesus was the kingdom of God incarnate. So everywhere where Jesus went with his feet, wherever he stood, boom, there was the kingdom. People got healed. The, the deaf could hear, the blind could see, demons were cast out of people, miracles happened, signs and wonders, man, boom, the kingdom of God. And I like to think the kingdom of God is when heaven meets earth. Is that a good definition? When heaven meets earth, that's the kingdom of God. So Jesus dies on the cross, goes, uh, uh, rise, rises from the grave, ascends to the right hand of the Father so that he can pour out his spirit on the church. So that wherever we come together, we gather whenever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of us. So when we're here, listen, my friends, as the church of Jesus Christ, heaven is meeting earth right here. And the same things that happen with Jesus should be happening here. People are encouraged. People are set free. People are, who are wrestling with demonic activity in their life are set free with the Holy Spirit. The blind see. People are healed, you see. Kingdom meets earth. That's God's intention. 
But this kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And what John is getting at here, when we look at uh, verse 10, he, he says, and not to contend with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbid, forbids those who wish putting them out of the church. Beloved, verse 11, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. So there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of Satan. There's the kingdom of darkness. And Diotrephes is running risk of being in the kingdom of Satan. Let me explain. Gaius, he's just a regular guy in the church, and the letter is being written to him. The kingdom of God, we think of Philippians 2. When Paul says, let this mind be in you, that was also in Christ Jesus, who considered heaven nothing to be grasped, he came to earth and humbled himself as a servant. Right? That's the kingdom of heaven. We see that James, in James chapter 4, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We don't want God to resist us, right? He upholds the humble. But then we look at the kingdom of Satan, which is full of pride, power, prestige. Genesis 1, in the garden, the serpent comes and tells Adam and Eve, you can be like God. And sin entered the world and has messed up this world ever since. Isaiah 14 and 15, we read in Isaiah that Satan rose up in his pride. He said he wanted to be equal with God, and he was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels. The kingdom of darkness. It's an upside-down kingdom. Jesus taught a paradoxal kingdom. And here's what we're seeing here. And John is nailing it. He's setting the record straight. In God's kingdom, the least is the greatest. Weakness is strength. To go up, you have to go down. You understand? You gain when you give. It's a whole different standard. Here we see that Diotrephes is following the kingdom of this world and the ways of this world in order to be successful. You climb the corporate ladder, you step on anybody, then you're somebody. What John is saying and what Jesus taught us is that when we serve one another, you are somebody in the kingdom of God. And stuff happens. Good stuff happens. That's what it means to walk in the truth. You get that new information. And it changes everything about how we see one another or see a problem or see a challenge or see an issue. Okay, walking in the truth, number two, is evidenced by love. All right? So the idea here is walking in the truth and love or truth and love go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. I know that you are walking in the truth because you love. You love one another. You love with a sacrificial love. That's how I know. See, Diotrephes, he was in a place of position in the church. He had to know the knowledge of Scripture, 
but he was not walking in love. And that's the problem here. What John is saying is that, Gaius, I know that you're walking in the truth. Why? Because you are loving this man, Demetrius. You're taking care of him. You're hospitable. And John upholds him in the letter. Now, Demetrius, this third fellow that we see in this letter, we don't know much about him. We just know that he had a good testimony. And we see him as a traveler through town. And Gaius is taking him in and showing him hospitality. We don't know uh, if he had a ministry. I, I tend to believe he had a ministry. That's why John says, look, this guy has a good testimony. And he's just a traveler through town, and he has a ministry, and he shares his testimony. He testifies about Jesus. He testifies of the truth. And now he's here, and he's being taken care of. It's kind of fun to think, even though there's no evidence of it. But in Acts 19, remember when Paul was preaching, and there was a Demetrius, the silversmith, that caused that big riot there, perhaps? I don't know. There's no evidence. That's just kind of fun to think about. Maybe he got saved. And he's this well-known guy in the region that now is just sharing his testimony, and he has this ministry. We don't know. There's no evidence of that. But what we do see here is that Gaius, his walking in the truth is evidenced by his hospitality and his love for this man, taking people in and taking this man in. See, hospitality is more than coffee and cookies. Hospitality is more than clean sheets. Hospitality is imitating God. Imitating God. Do you know, in the, first, in the early church, even past the first century, there was a group of people, we get this word, and they were called literally the hospitables, referring to the church. In this culture, in the Roman Empire, it was legal just to throw away their, your baby, just in the streets, especially girls. Girls, sorry, ladies, sorry. But in this time, they weren't as valuable as a, as, a man, as a boy that could get some of the work done that, on the farm or wherever. So it's very common. The hospitables would find out through a neighbor, so-and-so's pregnant, they don't want their baby. They would go and they would take the baby and bring them in. That was the church of Jesus Christ. The church was the first hospital ever. If you were rich, you could have a private doctor. You could afford it. The church would take everyone in and pray for them and care for them. The church, when a plague would hit an urban center, everyone would flee. They'd get out of town. When COVID hit, they'd go get a cabin up in the hills and isolate themselves for four years. The church would go in to the city, into the plague, and serve the people and care for them, knowing that they themselves would even potentially contract the plague and die themselves, and they'd do it willingly. Because they had heaven, what could they lose? That's hospitality. That is imitating God. Gaius is imitating God. Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says, when I was a stranger, you took me in. He's telling the prayer. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. 
When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was in prison, you came and visited and said, wait, 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 when? When did we give you a drink? When did we take you in? When did we visit you? He said, in as much as you've done this for the least of my brothers, you're doing it to me. Hospitality is imitating God. And Demetrius has come to town. He's in need. And Gaius is meeting his need. He's being hospitable. It's interesting to note that we're all called to be hospitable. Do you know that sometimes we think, well, I don't have that gift. I don't have the gift of hospitality. Do you know that there's nowhere in the Bible that says that there's a gift of hospitality? Nowhere in the Bible. There's many gifts listed in the Bible, but hospitality actually is described throughout the New Testament as everyone, the church, we are all to show hospitality to everyone. This is the nature of Jesus himself. And so we see that in Gaius. Thirdly and lastly, walking in truth is evidenced by love when we truly know Jesus, when we truly know him. I want to talk about truly knowing him because uh, Diotrephes, he knew stuff about God. You might say, well, I know Jesus, you know, the long hair, beard, you know, robe, sandals. Yeah, I know that guy. Walked on water, did good things, talked good things. But do you really know him? Do you know him? You know how we get to know him? Is we let him serve us. That's how we get to know him. He has come. Remember that, that scripture in John 13 when he washed washing the feet of the disciples? And Peter said, no, 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 don't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you will have no part with me. You won't know me unless you allow me to serve you. That's how we get to know Jesus. To know him is to allow him to serve you. And we love him because he first loved us, because we can't give out what we don't have ourselves. The reason we can't show grace to other people is because we have not received ourselves the grace of God for our stuff, where we need Jesus the most. And that he brings transformation to me. And that's what transforms me into being a servant and walking in love because his love has impacted me. Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here, a student of the law who knew it all, he said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? To love God and to love others. And then he shares a story. There's a man, traveler, a stranger, going down the road to Jericho. And, you know, someone, a, a thug from Compton came out and beat him to death. And uh, he's laying on the side of the road. And he's, you know, he's a mess. He's about to die. The publican, the priest, the Levite, they all walked by. All the guys that knew it, they knew the truth, but it, they didn't know Jesus. They knew it here, but it wasn't evidenced by love. They all walked by, except for the Good Samaritan. Well, who's the Good Samaritan? Sometimes you'll see a guy changing a tire for some lady on the side of their own. Oh, what a Good Samaritan. And that's awesome. He's doing a good deed. But in that parable, what Jesus is talking about, he's the Good Samaritan. We are the stranger. We've been beaten up. 
We've been pummeled by sin. We've been pummeled by the enemy. And we can't help ourselves. And Jesus comes along and he takes care of us. He heals us up. He pulls us into a safe place that we can get healed. See, that's what he's done for us. Because walking in the truth doesn't make you an expert. It's supposed to make us into a servant. We process truth in our brains. <laughs> you know, repentance is not that heavy of a word. It's, um, all it means is to change your mind. You get new information, and you go, oh, I thought this way, but I guess that's not the right way to think. And you change your mind, and you repent. Now, God won't change your mind for you. You have to change your mind in the light of truth. I can't change my heart. Only God can change my heart. But when I change my mind, what do I find? God changes my heart. He makes me into the person that I, I, I want to be in him. It's his grace. His grace is like a river. It flows to the lowest places of my life and my family, my community. And it makes me into a servant. Here's the deal. Jesus laid down his preeminence just so that he could serve you and love on you and bring you into his house and into his family. He had all the preeminence, but he laid it down. And that's the drawing of the Lord Jesus Christ on your heart, no matter who you are, what you've done. He loves you. He wants to care for you. Amen. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you how your love has transformed us. Lord, we want to know you, not just know about you. We want to know you through the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.